You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Bob Odom, who serves in the pastoral team at LifeGate Church. You can find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Amen. Well, we are in Proverbs 3 today. Very, very familiar passage of Scripture. And as we're, as we're looking forward to a new year, it is a good time, it seems, to tap into that, the timely advice of the Proverbs. So our text today is set on the, the con- in the context of two different categories. One is a set of commands, and the other a set of promises. And we're in Proverbs 3, very familiar passage. Uh, actually, the text will be, and the commands and the promises will be taken from Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8. But I want to read from verses 1, starting at verse 1 of that chapter, just to get kind of set in order. How, how does this just, this timely advice, where does it come from, and, and what's the context in which it was spoken? So Proverbs 3 Verse 1, here is a father speaking to his son. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your hearts keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Here's a father speaking to his son and wanting to give to him something that would be a gift for life. And so he shares this wisdom, and he begins by telling him, there are certain things I don't want you to forget. And otherwise, there are certain things that that you need to remember. And and this is something kind of important for us to get. He said, do not forget my teaching. Now, in saying that, he's talking about my teaching in terms of the Torah, the law of Moses, the Pentateuch, the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, all of that. He's talking about that, that those teachings have so informed his life, and he has, set, he has sought to imply that to his kids so that they see how to apply the Word of God in their lives. And so he's saying to his son, I want, don't forget this. Don't let this slip. This is very important. The Word, the law of the Lord that has come. This is how I've taught you to apply it in your life. Remember that. So uh, he's giving this way of applying the Word of God. Now, in Old Testament usage, to say don't forget something or to remember something implies more than just call this to mind. It's, not, it's more than just saying memorize this or call this to mind so that you can memorize the Ten Commandments or this law or that law or this teaching or that teaching. Remembrance and do not forget implies putting into practice. It implies obedience. It's one, it doesn't really, well, 
I suppose it does some good just to memorize something and just to have something in our mind, but it means a whole lot more when we actually put it into practice in our lives. And that's what this father is trying to teach his son. And so he says, let your heart keep my commandments. Think about this. Let your heart keep my commandments. He's speaking now in greater terms than just think correctly. But let your heart keep my commandments. Do you know, it seems to me that parents, those those of us who are parents, we always seek to lay a firm foundation in the lives of our children with this hope. Cindy and I used to talk about this all the time when we were raising our girls, and we still talk about it because we got a family to, to share and to invest in. Well, parents always want to lay the kind of foundation to where your hope is that when your children are not around to hear your voice, they will know your heart. When our children are no longer within range of our voice, maybe they've gone off to work, maybe they got married and moved off, maybe they're uh, in college, whatever it is, but when they cannot hear our voice, our hope is that we've laid the kind of foundation that they will know our heart for them. Every parent, I think, whether we understand the way of putting that, we hope that for our children. And I think that's part of why the advice of this father was, let your heart keep my commandments. You know, the Pharisees were one group that at least some of them, not every Pharisee was like this. We don't want to categorize everybody. But a lot of times they knew the right stuff, but they didn't put it into practice. And that's why Jesus could speak to them and say, listen, you guys are often like a, a cup that's all, it's beautifully cleaned on the outside, but inside it's filthy. That's why it says in God's Word, we obey in the heart. That's where obedience really takes place, in the heart. I've been around kids for a long time. Um, Cindy and I ran a youth center long before Lifegate Christian School. We've been around kids a long time. And I have known so many godly teenagers who wanted to be obedient to God's Word and to their parents. And they wanted to do that from the heart. And what they wanted to do in the heart was reflected outwardly. And I've known some others who sort of had that idea I know you require this of me and I'm going to do it, but as soon as I don't have to do it, I'm not going to do it because it's not my heart. That's not really obedience, is it? And the Pharisees were sort of like that in that they know, we we know exactly what God wants us to do and we raise our garden and we know how much to give. We get our income, we know how much. We, We raise our herd and we know how much to give. We know what to do. But Jesus was calling to a deeper level all through the New Testament. He wants us to obey with our heart. And that's what's reflected in Proverbs. Let your heart keep my commandments. So how is this son supposed to remember? Well, he uses some phrases. He says this. He says in verse 3, bind these teachings around your neck. That seems kind of cumbersome, but... What does he mean by that? Or what does he say? He says, write these things on the tablet of your heart. Don't we understand from that 
But what this means is that we need to meditate on these truths, these teachings. We need to consider them carefully. We need to, as Matthew Henry, the old Puritan Bible scholar said, have continual regard for these truths. Value these truths. Value the Word of God. Do we value something enough that we want it to inform our hearts, but also to just guide our lives in every way? What he's really saying is, don't not only call this to mind, but do these things. Make these things a part of the DNA of your life. To where when you get up in the morning and when you go to bed at night, and when you're dealing with people or, or having conflicts or having joyful times or working on a job or going to school or whatever you're doing, the DNA of your life is, I want more than anything to please and to glorify God. I want more than anything to do that. And that's kind of what's being communicated here. So in verses 5 through 8, kind of fleshes that out for us so that we can see by these, this series of commands and promises, what does it actually mean for this to be worked out? And when we think about this working out, you know, I think kind of a constant theme in the Scriptures is reflected, I thought, very well in Philippians 2. Helps us to see this clearly. But listen to this. The Apostle Paul writing to the believers, and he said, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Sounds like those parents, right? <laughs> Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. What God has worked in, His salvation down into the hearts and lives of us. Now you work out daily life. It's part of your DNA. Work it out every day, every way, in every conversation, in every way you go about your job, in everything that you do. Work that out because God has worked that in. So this is a common theme, I think. And here we've got some commands that tell us and flesh that out as to how we actually do that. So he begins with this command. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's a deeply rooted trust in the very character and nature of God. We trust the Lord, and so therefore, what do we want to do? We want, we want to, if we know His heart and we see that, we want to trust Him. We want to act as one who trusts Him and we believe His Word and we trust His Word. Even when our culture and everything around us contradicts that. And we live in such a day and time. So do we believe God or do we believe what everybody wants us to believe? Do we believe God and take Him at His word or do we want to go the other way? Bible scholar John Kitchen said this. I thought it was very appropriate. This trust is the sense of safety and security that comes from being under the care now get this, of another more competent than we are. If we're under the care and security of one who is more competent than we are, then we want to trust. And that's what is being said here. One, is God more competent than you are? Are you awake? Uh, <laughs> Is God not more competent than we are? More able? 
Amen. So what do we do? We want to, this is, that's a reflection of the kind of trust that we have. We know our safety and our security is in His hands because He knows us more than we could ever know ourselves. So it's a wholehearted leaning on the Lord. So we can move right from that to understand the second command that He gives. Do not lean on your own understanding. First of all, trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. If we're really trusting the Lord, we're not going to be leaning on our own understanding. And why should we not lean on our own understanding? At our best, it's limited. We don't see the bigger picture so often. We're very limited. I think that's why in that great chapter in, uh, on love in the uh, 1 Corinthians 13, where it just says it clearly. We know in part. That's how we know. That's our knowledge. We know in part. But the Lord is the one who sees the whole. We don't always see the bigger picture, but God in His providence sees all. Think about that word from it, providence. The word comes from a prefix and, a, and, a, and a, a, attached to a, a word that could be a verb or a a noun, depending on how it's used, but pro-video are the words. Pro-video, providence. Pro means for or before, and video obviously refers to what we see. And the providence of God is that everything happens before the face and the eyes of God. Nothing escapes it. Everything happens before His face. Everything happens. Nothing is hidden from His sight. That's why one of the most... This is disturbing. But Hebrews, Hebrews says this. It's disturbing on one level. See if it, you think so. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So far, so good. We all say amen. Follows it up with this. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Okay. Everything exposed before God. There's nothing that He doesn't see. The providence of God, He sees it all. So we don't lean on our own understanding because we, our own understanding does have limits, but God's doesn't. He sees it all. And so the, the writer of Proverbs goes on and says, in light of that, acknowledge the Lord in all your ways. Promise or, or command number three. Acknowledge the Lord in all your ways. It refers to a deep experiential kind of knowledge to acknowledge. The word actually can mean to, just on the surface, it can just mean be aware of. But that word is often used to imply have fellowship with. Acknowledge the Lord. Have the kind of fellowship with Him that we are saying in the process of that fellowship, I'm looking to you, Lord, and you're the leader and I'm not. You see it all and I don't. You tell me and I'll follow. Acknowledge the Lord 
in all your ways. Okay, we don't want to lean on our own understanding, but we want to lean on the Lord and not ourselves. I discovered something, that I, I mentioned this at men's breakfast yesterday, but I discovered something in the study of this that I never had known before. But when this word, the word lean, lean not on your own understanding, but we're, so what are we doing? We're trusting the Lord, we're leaning on Him. It means to lean with your full weight so that if what you're leaning on moves, you're going to hit the ground. Don't lean on your own understanding. So what do we do? We lean on the Lord with our full weight, the full weight. So he's not going to move. He's not going to move. If he did, we would be on the ground. But God doesn't save us and do his work in us so that he can just say, oh, sorry, you hit the ground. No, it's not that. No, he's saying, I'm reliable. You can depend on me in all circumstances of life. Lean, not on your own understanding, but lean on the one who has perfect understanding because everything happens before his eyes. So he goes on and say, therefore, don't be wise in your own eyes. Well, that's good counsel, especially if, if our own eyes don't see everything. We shouldn't be wise in our own eyes. And so the, the fourth command that he gives, don't be wise in your own eyes. Human wisdom versus divine wisdom, they just don't compare very well. And so he's encouraging his son, encouraging all of us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not, not to be wise in our thinking. There are lots of verses in the New Testament that follow up on this. Read Romans 12 sometimes. But uh, just don't be wise in your thinking, but rely on the Lord. Do we trust what God says or what the world culture says? Who do we believe? We stay on the path of wisdom by remembering, not just here, but here to obey and following through, working out what God has worked in, following Him, obeying Him, not some kind of self-serving wisdom. We follow His wisdom. And then he says, fear the Lord, the fifth command. Fear the Lord. Live in reverence and respect for God. So that what we want to do, we want to respect Him. That kind of respect that results in obedience. Not the kind of respect that just says, um, yes, sir, and then we go do what we want to do. The kind of respect that says, yes, sir, and then we do it. We do what he says. We follow him. Fear the Lord. That's real reverence and real respect. The opposite of being wise in your own eyes is fearing and trusting in God. And so this father is saying to his son, I remember what I've told you. Remember what I've shown you. Parents, that's an important thing. Not just tell, but do, right? Remember what I've shown you in my life. Do these things. Be obedient to these things. And, and fear God. Have the kind of respect for the Lord that you'll obey Him. And then he says, turn from evil. Okay, here's a real reference to repentance. What does it mean to turn from something? It means, in the New Testament terms... The, the word means change the way you think about something so much so that you will change how you actually live. Think differently and act differently. That's true repentance. It's not just thinking differently, but it is actually acting differently. That's true repentance. And that's what it means to turn from evil. We think differently, and so we turn, 
and we go the direction the Lord wants us to instead of the direction that we may be going. And he says, turn from evil. Um, Now, here's what I think. Turning from evil is almost always, it's not just a category that says, all evil I'm going to turn from, but it's very specific. That's why Hebrews talks about a besetting sin. The thing that we most likely, easily head toward, it's just our our default mode. And it may be that we have to turn from those very things. It's very specific to turn from those. Very specific and intentional turning away. Well, from what? Well, you fill in the blank. What is it with you? What is it with me? Is it fault-finding everywhere we turn? Is it having trouble with the love of money? Having honesty and integrity with our money? Is it a temper that controls us more than we control it? Everybody's got a temper, but either it's in charge or you're in charge. You know, That's what self-control is all about, which is an evidence of the Holy Spirit, fruit of the Spirit working in our lives. Temper. What about addictions? Lots of addictions. It could be the obvious drugs. It could be alcohol. It could be social media. It could be an overdose of political rhetoric. It could be sexual lust. It could be pornography. There are many things that are addictions in our world. But to turn requires specific, intentional turning. Moving a different direction. Thinking differently about it. We we start with confession. What do we say when we confess? We say with God what He already said about it. It's sin. You know, not an excuse. It's sinful. And so we confess and we say, Lord, I know this is wrong. It doesn't please you and I'm admitting it. You're right and I'm wrong. I'm confessing this. And then what do we do? We want to turn from that. By the power of the Spirit, we ask the Lord, Lord, would you, by your work in me, give me the power to turn from those things that are just not godly. All of those six commands, mighty fast moving. But there it is in Proverbs 3. You've got these six commands. Trust in the Lord. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn from evil. Okay, we've got the commands, and here are the promises that follow. When God commands, He so often gives us promises. He says, He will make straight your paths. A promise from God. As opposed to crooked, winding, wasteful path of life. He will make straight your paths. There are less obstacles on a straight line than there are on all these curves in the road and crooked ways that we may try to go. So he removes some of those obstacles from us and our way is straight because we're our eyes are on the Lord and we want to be following Him and looking to Him. And our wisdom leads on these detours that go all around everywhere. Have you ever been on a hike that was supposed to be 
12 miles and was 17? Because Cindy and I have. We were way younger, but we were hiking, and in our, in our wisdom and our knowledge, this is the way to go. And I don't know how, we went round and round and round. But finally, Cindy saw something. We were walking along the side of the hill for about the fourth time, and she said, look! And she saw something down there, a little tiny bit of a path that was easy to follow when we were coming up, but it was almost impossible to see. We got on that and finally got back to our car. <laughs> 17 miles. I would have died if I'd been on it today. <laughs> but our way, though, leads to all kinds of detours. So we don't lean on our own understanding. We lean on the Lord. Our best wisdom leads to detours. So obedience leads to a straight and direct and accurate path because it's living in God's wisdom. So we get that promise. You'll make your path straight. The second promise, healing. Now, if you have a King James, you're probably chuckling about now. It will be healing to your flesh. King James says what? It will be healing to your navel. <laughs> okay, what does that mean? Well, I'm, you know, it was easy for me to understand it when I read, read in the ESV, it's healing to your flesh. That, that's one thing. Healing to your navel, I thought. Hmm. But the word literally means the umbilical cord, the place, the source by which a baby still in its mother's body receives nourishment, that umbilical cord. The nourishment will be health, a healthy environment of God nourishing His people. That's the kind of healing that is promised to us. This is not, it's not a promise you'll never have a sick day in your life. Someday we will when we're in that video and we've gone to be with the Lord. No more sickness, sorrow, none of that. But right now, there's sickness in our world because there's sin in our world and there's all kinds of things that go wrong. But it's not a promise you'll never be sick. But it's a general promise you will live a more healthy, fulfilling life being nourished by God. Even as any baby is nourished through the umbilical cord of his mother. So, nourished by a God who sees all, who knows all, living before Him with a trust and a direction and guidance. Obedience to God leads to favor. Can we get this? Here's a circular thing in the Christian life. What is the grace of God? It's the undeserved favor of God. We get the favor of God, which then gives us the ability and the power to obey God. And then we obey God and we have His favor. And that gives us the ability to obey Him, and then what ultimately you and I hope to hear one day is, well done, good and faithful servant. We don't hope that with leaning on ourselves, but by leaning, leaning, full weight on the Lord. We want to lean in His direction. We want His favor in that regard. The third promise refreshment, literally medicine. 
refreshment or medicine to your bones. I've always loved Acts 3.20, where it says, times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. Period. Our times of refreshing don't come from getting a nice nap. That can be refreshing. Our times of refreshing don't come from just everything being really wonderful circumstances of life, wonderful point in life. Times of refreshing come from the presence of God, no matter what the circumstances. If we're sick or well, if we're caring for someone in our home, as many of us are, if we're experiencing lack, if we're experiencing plenty in all of life, refreshing comes from the presence of the Lord. If all we want is to say, I'll be refreshed when I'm healed, refreshment comes from God. So does healing, but healing is not a condition. We don't put conditions before God and say, Lord, I'm going to really be refreshed in you if you just do this for me. New job, healing for somebody else, better circumstances, whatever. Refreshment comes from being in His presence. And that is the promise that we have. I, and my hope in, in even proclaiming this, I know, simple message today is that we begin a new year with a fresh sense of God's providence, a fresh sense of our trust in Him, not leaning on our own understanding, but really leaning on Him, that we're crying out to Him, that we are the kind of church and we are the kind of individuals that recognize, I need the Lord. And I want my times of refreshing to come from being in His presence, putting Him first, loving Him above all else. I think that when we come in a few moments to the Lord's table, there's something that we should also see. This Jesus giving His blood, giving His life for our forgiveness, it's a picture of the Savior's walk of obedience, trusting in His Father. Even as we're told to do in the Word of God, He did. But let's not miss this. Where did it lead as he kept his eyes on his Father and as he walked with him, it led him to the cross. It led him to suffering. But purposive suffering. Purposive cross-bearing so that you and I would not experience death in that final eternal sense. He's given us forgiveness. He's given us himself he gives so freely. And we see even in the, the shed blood of Christ, the body that's been offered, we do see, if we look, we see here's our example of living out this Proverbs 3. Here's one who is trusting in his Father, dwelling in his presence, knowing that he could even call, as Hebrews reminds us, that the cross is the joy that was set before him. Why would it be the joy? because He knows what that's going to bring to us. Something we could not bring to ourselves. Forgiveness, acceptance, 
love. So when we come today, in these next few moments, when we come, notice, I think it's written here, it's written on almost all communion tables, isn't it? This do in remembrance of me. This is an act of remembering. Remembering what did Jesus do and why did he do it? Jesus laid down his life for our forgiveness, our acceptance, so that we could one day hear the Father say, well done, enter into the joy of your Lord. That that we long to hear in eternity. Jesus provided for it. And what this is, Jesus, Jesus was clear about this. He said, remember, remember, remember. And so it's recorded in 1 Corinthians 11 where Jesus, Paul said this part, for I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember, don't just call it to mind, but this means something in the way that I act, the way that I live my life, and the way that I speak. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus set the example of obedience and trust, leaning on the Lord, depending entirely on his Father, and doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. And therefore we can lean on him and we can depend on him the example that he gave that affects our lives in so many ways. So when we come today, we're going to come and we're going, we're going to remember something. We're supposed to remember something. What are we remembering? We're remembering that Jesus Christ gave his life, shed his blood, offered his body on the cross so that you and I could have times of refreshing in the presence of a holy God. Otherwise, we'd never be holy. If it's just up to us, we'd never be holy and be able to enter His presence. But because of what Jesus did, we have so much to receive and so much to learn and so much to do. It all goes together. Let's pray. Father, thank You for what Jesus has done for us. Thank You for just the simplicity and clarity of your word. Lord, we thank you that we're clear that you're the Lord and we're to follow you, to love you, to trust you, and that you're so dependable. We can rely on you. We can depend on you, even to the laying down of the life of your own son. Father, thank you for what you've done for us and we pray that you would make us a grateful people, receiving from you all that you have given to us. Would you bless these elements, this bread and this cup, that they might remind us faithfully of who you are and what you've given. Remind us of who it is that we trust in, who it is before whose eyes we live, you who see all. Father, may we have a fresh assurance today and a fresh hope for life and for the life to come. We commit ourselves to you, confessing to you, Lord, that we have sinned and have fallen short of your glory. 
Lord, we admit to you that the wage that we deserve is death. But the gift that we receive is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So we receive this with thanksgiving. And we come, Lord, with, help us to come with humility, confessing our need, and celebrating your provision. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.